Good morning. I want to start off by sharing with you my son, my oldest son, Indy, has been in a basketball league uh, this spring term, and it's been a lot of fun, um, very exciting to see him get involved in competitive sports on a different level because he's been doing individual combat sports for a little while. And uh, I want to tell you that his team is terrible. And, uh, and I don't say that with you know, pride or to you know, embarrass anyone, but last week they were playing another team and their opponents put on an exhibition of what basic fund fundamental basketball skills looks like, teamwork. They were like, the opposite team looked like the Harlem Globetrotters, for those of you who are a little bit older and understand my dated references, but they were dribbling circles around Indy's team, passing back and forth. They looked like a well-oiled NBA team compared to uh, Indy's team. And so they got off to a 12-0 start. And for those of you who don't know, um, in kids' basketball, they, they don't count by two, uh, two points per basket, one, one point. So 12 baskets to zero. Until uh, my son Indy actually scored the first basket for his team about halfway, almost uh, right before the half. And I was really proud of him because he was trying to play the right way. He knew that things weren't going well for his team, so he tried to get rebounds. He tried to play defense. He was trying to pass to his other teammates. He was trying to involve others. But he was particularly frustrated with there was this one uh, younger teammate, and you could tell maybe it was his first time uh, playing basketball or competitive sports. This little guy who would dribble his way straight into the corner where he would get trapped by two or three of the opposing players, and he wouldn't know what to do, so he'd just throw the ball as high as he could up into the air, and every single time the opposing team would get the ball, it was always a turnover. And you could see the look of frustration on my son's face boil over at one point. There was, you could almost see it. It was like a little switch flipped. And he decided in that moment, I am going to take over the game. Suddenly he thinks he's Michael Jordan. So he started aggressively driving every single time he touched the ball straight to the other hoop, warming his way through the defense, and he would just jack up shot after shot after shot. And the result was he played okay. By the end of the game, he made two baskets, but their team had lost 17 to 3. And so afterwards, we were sitting in the car trying to have a discussion about his feelings about it. And we talked about, son, I know that uh, you were feeling quite frustrated. Now, let's, let's talk about this. The way that you took over the game and you stopped involving your teammates, did anything you do give your team a realistic chance to win? 17 to 3. He said, no. But that kid, that one kid, blah, blah, blah. And then and they went on this rant, okay, okay. But is there anything that you did to help that, anything that you did that helped him become a better player. And kind of exasperated, he's like, nothing I'm gonna do is gonna help. He can't do anything right. And my fear is that that's the way sometimes we treat or look at people in the church body. That sometimes there are people who frustrate us, who rub us the wrong way, who do things the wrong direction, who talk, or speak or act a way that doesn't suit your preferences and priorities and look at them and feel like, I don't know what value you add. That we see some people, they serve better, they serve God more, or they are, have more important roles or more important abilities, and other people as less helpful or less, as less valuable. And the word of God this morning is try, going to try to convince you that that is a lie. So turn in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're in this series called Clear, where we're learning in a world of confusion and conflict to see life 
through the countercultural lens of the gospel, the good news about Jesus. And the Apostle Paul is writing to this cool, hip, urban church located in the urban city of Corinth, telling them instead of being blinded by the values of this world, to see clearly through your identity in Christ that as you are loved and forgiven and transformed by his work on a cross, that he guides us and grows us into both holiness and unity together as a family that's distinct from the world around us. And then he goes on to show us through many chapters how to practically apply that in things like sin, in conflicts, in our sex lives, in our relationships. And so we saw in chapters 8 through 10 that Christian living isn't simply a checklist of legal requirements or liberties that we get to enjoy, but that whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God and the good of other people. But the problem that we're discovering in chapters 11 through 14 is that the Corinthian church, they're not glorifying God when they gather together. They're experiencing all kinds of disorder and discord as they gather together for worship. And so today what we're going to see is when the Corinthians gather together for their church worship service, instead of serving Jesus together, they're failing to value one another because they actually have a worldly view of how they measure each other. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts by the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service by the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. So in verse 1 through 2, Paul is reminding them, uh, because you Corinthian folks are not Jewish, you didn't grow up in church, you didn't grow up reading the Bible, you grew up worshiping idolatrous spirits, there might be some confusion about how spiritual gifts work. They're not like this idol that you uh, give some offering or, or money to, and they give you some kind of power. So let's talk about what are spiritual gifts. What you need to first understand is that they are not natural talents or skills. But what we see in this passage is that they're God-given, God-empowered abilities from the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity that dwells in us and guides us and transforms us in the power of Christ for serving in ministry. So brief aside, for example, uh, you have seen me preach for many years here, but when I was in seminary, I first attended to get my master's in counseling degree, and I remember one time being assigned to do a presentation. Got up for that presentation, and I have to tell you, I prepared for like probably 60 hours for that presentation, and I still stood there holding note cards, and my hands were trembling, and my voice was quivering as I was giving this presentation as a full-grown adult in front of just 20 people. And so public speaking is not my natural ability. But there's something about when I started attending seminary, started taking preaching classes, when I'm standing upon the Word of God, that I feel full confidence and power through the Holy Spirit that is not from myself. Spiritual gift. So that aside, verse 3, Paul introduces a controversy that's happening within the Corinthian church. You see in this phrase that when you are speaking in the Spirit of God, he says. And so what's happening here is the Corinthians, they value a certain spiritual gift that's called speaking in tongues, speaking from the Spirit of God. And they see that as a superior gift because it appears more supernatural. 
as if God is somehow speaking supernaturally through a human agent. And Paul's response in verse 3 is, this, is that it's not about the type of gift. It's not about what you have, but what you do with it. What does it say about Jesus? And so he says in that verse that you see, you could speak in the spirit of God. You can think that you're speaking in tongues, but if you're dishonoring Jesus, rebelling against Jesus, then you're not speaking from God and his spirit. And the flip side is, regardless, even if you don't have the spiritual gift of tongues, whatever your gifting may be that God has given you, if you're using it to declare that Jesus is Lord through your words, through your service, then it's equally and genuinely from the Holy Spirit. And so in verses 4 through 6, he says, there's a whole variety of spiritual gifts. They're all from the same source, the Holy Spirit. There's a variety of areas of service to use those gifts, but they're all serving the same Lord Jesus. There's a variety of ways that you and I can deploy those gifts, but they're all being empowered by the same God, the Father. And so if those statements are true, what's the implication? The big idea of this whole passage is that you and I are to value the diversity of spiritual gifts and people who use them in the unity of Christ. That there is no gift spiritually. There is no person who is utilizing those gifts that is more spiritual or more valuable than others because it's all from the same source. It's all empowered by the same God. It's all serving the same Lord. And so the starting point for you and I this morning is I want you to be thinking about if you are a follower of Jesus, if I believe that Jesus is my Savior and Lord, if I've received his Holy Spirit as I came to faith in him, that I'm gifted for ministry to the glory of God and the good of other people, then the question is, first of all, have you invested time and effort to discover what your spiritual gift from God is? And how are you putting that to use by involving yourself in the kingdom ministry of the church and his gospel? Second implication from this passage is that that means that we need to think about how am I comparing my own contribution or other people's contribution to the family of Christ? You see, we may not be like the Corinthians and admire a flashy spiritual gift like the the gift of tongues, but we do tend to look at certain spiritual gifts like teaching and preaching or leading worship on stage or evangelism and the ability to, uh, to share the gospel well as more important. Are you treating some people and some gifts as more valuable to the family of Christ than others? There's our starting point this morning. Okay, Apostle Paul, if, um, you know, if there's, God has given us so many differences in our gifts, then how, do we gonna stay, how are we going to stay grounded in unity then when there's so much differences between us? Look at verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So in verse 7, we see here that every single believer, every single follower of Jesus, you've received the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit including a manifestation of a spiritual gift. 
every single believer. So if you've come to know Jesus, every single one of you has at least one spiritual gift. And the purpose of it, it says in verse 7, is for the common good. That means it's not simply something that we use for our personal worship and personal whims, but to help build each other up for the common good of the church that others might know and worship Jesus more. And so in verses 8 through 10, he's going to give us some examples, and I'll explain a little bit about what each of those means. So he talks about speaking a word of knowledge or a a word of wisdom from the Holy Spirit. One is a gift of being able to receive and give a message from God, give information about God. That's knowledge. The other is about application from God. That's wisdom. The spiritual gift of faith. He's talking about beyond your first initial saving faith when you came to believe in Jesus Christ. And it's a supernatural confidence and an assurance in God regardless of the circumstances. Do you know people like that? That even when the worst thing happens to them, that they still have this deep trust and faith in God and they encourage you with their faith to continue trusting God. That's the spiritual gift of faith, not just what everyone feels when we come to believe in Jesus. Then he talks about various other gifts, that there are healing and miraculous signs from God to encourage us, people being able to speak a prophetic word from God to exhort us, and then the ability to discern if an influence, is that from the Spirit of God or from something else, perhaps even something demonic spiritually. And then he talks about the hot-button issue in the Corinthian church, the gift of tongues. And what that is, for those of you who are unfamiliar, is is this Holy Spirit-inspired utterances in an unintelligible language that he'll talk about later in uh, chapter 13 as speaking in the tongue of angels. And that it's because it's not understandable by people, even including the person who's speaking them, he says the next gift, that there is also a gift for interpretation. Specifically because in order for it to bless the church to be for the common good, that people need to be able to understand what that person is praying. And so, all that being said, I want to say that this is not an exhaustive list. We see that there are many more spiritual gifts listed in Romans chapter 12, verse 6 through 8, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. But the purpose of this list, this this diverse list, is to demonstrate to us that there is a diversity of gifts. There are all kinds of very strange, very peculiar, very interesting, very powerful gifts, but there is a diversity of them. And the emphasis in verse 11 and you heard me read it in emphasis several times, is that they're all decided and empowered by the one and same Holy Spirit. That's the source of unity. Because what happens is, when you know they're all from the Holy Spirit, then that eliminates any sense of personal superiority. When, they're, when that gift that's given to you is according to God's will and God's ability, not ours. You see, the Corinthians had made <clears throat> spiritual gifts a point of comparison and division within the body of Christ. Look how I speak in the supernatural tongue of angels. So what do you do, Jenny, in the body of Christ? And so what we see happening here is Paul's point about gifts is it's not about what you have or what you do, but that it's all from God. And instead, the point here is that all spiritual gifts and people are valuable for the common good and the common goal of building up the church. In other words, Corinthians, you have the idea wrong here. The purpose of your spiritual gifts is outward, not focusing inward on what I can do. It's not about my personal growth or gain or my personal ability or or acclaim, but it's to help bless and build up each other for Jesus in the body of Christ. 
And so thinking about how, does, how am I applying my spiritual gift, my service to God for the common good. So when we look at various ministries around church, it's not about human abilities. Like I want you to think about if you were to serve in, uh, the, uh, in, on our AV team in the sound booth, I know some of you think that there's just people who are sitting back there uh, clicking slides and, and turning knobs like, you know, randomly, and that we never pay attention to them except for when something goes wrong. Then everybody turns their head and looks backwards like, hmm, as if you could fix it and do better, right? But you need to understand that when you're applying your spiritual gifts in the AV ministry, the ministry of the, the AV team is that they're to coordinate the elements of worship to help people connect with God. And so there's this thing for the common good of bringing us closer to Jesus. For some of us, we think, okay, what do greeters really do? They're just a warm body that says hello and takes the offering. But that's not true. When we think about applying your spiritual gifts to the common good, there's a mission statement we have for our hospitality ministry that those who are greeters would be the first person to minister God's love and presence to worshipers on a Sunday morning. So when you walk through that door, the first pastor you meet isn't me. It's the greeter. And I'll talk about that a little bit more later. And so I want you to be thinking about with the gift that God has given you, spiritual gift, are you employing them to glorify yourself or to edify others? Well, here's a different way of thinking, because I know that's a very pastry way of talking about it. I want you to ask yourself this very honest question. Has anyone, is anyone drawing closer to Jesus because of how I serve them? Because that's the defining, that's the definition of if I'm employing my spiritual gift for the common good. Okay, yes, Pastor Josh, we get it. But, uh, you know, it still seems to me like certain gifts, spiritual gifts, are more flashy or more useful. What if mine feel unimportant or invisible? What if I feel unimportant or invisible? Look at verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Let's stop right there for a second. So in verse 12, uh, Paul is comparing the church to what? A human body. And just as a body has a lot of different parts, so does the body of Christ. And yet we need all these different roles working together in unity for a body to properly function, if you think about it, right? And so he's going to prove his point theologically but by starting in verse 13. When you and I came to faith in Jesus regardless of your culture, whether you're Jew or Greek, whether, regardless of your socioeconomic background, whether you were slave or free, that we all receive the same Holy Spirit uniting us with Jesus and uniting us into his family. Verse 14, likewise, the Holy Spirit continues uniting us into Jesus' body by, strangely enough, distributing different, a variety of spiritual gifts, just as a human body needs many different kinds of parts because they are all valuable and necessary, working together for the well-being of the whole. So we're thinking 
We're seeing how God creates like a diverse system working together, and that's what creates the unity. But the problem is when our view gets too narrow and we're only focusing on the differences instead of the dynamic interaction between us. And so in verse 15 to 16, he says, imagine that you're a foot that's declaring, you know what, I don't get to be a hand. They get to do all the cool, cool stuff, hold the pencils, uh, do cool activities. Well, I'm stuck down here below just carrying their weight all the time. So I don't belong in this body. Or imagine that you're an ear and say, saying, I'm not an eyeball. I don't get to be up front. I don't get to see the big picture. I'm stuck back here. I don't belong to this body. And what we're seeing here is Paul's revealing to us the human tendency for us to look at other people compare our situation, and then come to the conclusion, if I feel different, if I feel uncomfortable, if I feel unnecessary, then I do not belong. And that if, and so for some of us, we understand that feeling. If the church is a body, I sometimes feel like I'm the appendix or the tonsils. I'm unnecessary. And so we surgically cut ourselves off from community, from connection, from participation in the body of Christ. So what does that look like for us? Well, I don't have a gift of spiritual gift of tongues or teaching. I'm not an extrovert like so many people at church. I'm not married. I don't have kids. I don't have the same interests as other people. Or I'm going through some changes in my life. I don't fit. I don't belong. And what Paul says is you have the wrong assumption. Just because you or your gifting or your experience or your role is different, that doesn't make you any less a part of the body of Christ. And that to remember that God, the Holy Spirit, intentionally and sovereignly uh, it, it does diversity in his design for us because it's exactly those differences that make us able to work together and minister to the healthiness, the wholeness, and the holiness of the body of Christ. You see, there's some certain things that you do, certain people that you can reach in ways that I can't or other people cannot. And so we need you. And when you are not present, when you're not involved, then you're robbing the body of Christ of that particular gifting and ability that God has given you. And so the point in this section of Scripture is that when we're struggling sometimes with feeling our value or our belonging, to remember that every believer equally belongs and contributes value to the body of Christ through our differences, not despite our differences, through our differences. So I want you to think about it this way. Uh, we see a lot of times there's a lot of people up front, and you may feel like, well, I don't uh, you know, know how to teach the Bible, Bible particularly well. I'm not gifted for that. You know, I can't lead a small group. Um, I'm not gifted at evangelism or neighborhood outreach. You know, uh, maybe my role is that I, I'm a greeter. I'm good at that because it, I just, the way I serve God and use my giftings is I greet people for 15 minutes on Sunday mornings. I'm not that important. Years ago... Uh, there's uh, a member of our church, uh, many of you know Christina Reyes. Uh, she often served in uh, Sunday, Sunday school or children's ministry on Sundays. And she was serving as a greeter. And uh, the week after she was uh, serving as our one of our hospitality people on Sunday mornings, uh, a visitor sent me an email. I was like, uh-oh. You're receiving an email about, whenever you receive an email about, like, I want to talk about uh, like someone that, that was uh, serving at your church, um, usually it's not good news. But this uh, woman sent me this email, and she let me know that, you know what, uh, I had lost my job, uh, I've lost my boyfriend, I lost a lot of my hope for anything good in my life. And even though I'm a Christian, I'd made up my mind 
uh, to end my life. But I decided to go to church one more time and at least settle things with God a little bit. And uh, Pastor, I want to tell you that the music and the message spoke to me, but, um, but I think I gave God a chance that morning because there was a woman at the door who was just a ray of sunshine. She welcomed me with a smile, welcomed me with some kind words, and even gave me a little hug, even though I'm a stranger. And I want to say that that gave me the courage to stay, to hear from God, but I heard from God first through this woman. There are no small people or small gifts in the body of Christ. Everyone plays a vital role in the ministry of Jesus, ministering Jesus and the gospel to other people in ways that other people can't do that. So, if sometimes you feel like I have a hard time connecting with others at church or, or serving with others at church, um, if I'm having a hard time seeing my own value, I want you to consider what the Bible is saying and think about, is God good? Does he give good gifts? And some of you, you, you know that up here, but that's not the, 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 dialogue, the, the, the monologue that you say to yourself in your heart. And you need to hear that God doesn't make trash and he doesn't give trash when it comes to gifts. And so I want you to, if you're struggling with being connected or involved because you're looking down on yourself in a certain way, you feel like you don't fit, you don't belong, I want you to pray this this morning. Heavenly Father, you brought me to this church intentionally. You gifted me this way purposefully. I belong to your family. And then ask him, Lord, open my eyes to the opportunities that you want to give me to use my gifts in church or in someone's life for your glory, for, someone's, for other people's good. For some, the problem is that we have a hard time seeing our own value in the family of Christ. For others, it might be a little bit like my son playing basketball, you'll have a hard time seeing the value of other people and their contribution. Verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So in verses 17 and 18, Paul says, imagine if you were a body that was just covered in eyeballs. That's all you were. You're just a whole clump of eyeballs. Then how are you going to hear? How are you going to smell? And so he's trying to show us that's why God intentionally and sovereignly arranges the form and the function of all these different parts of the body of Christ, because each one serves a purpose for his great purposes in our good. And so the gifts that he gives people 
and the way that he has formed you and shaped you. It's not an accident. It's not an oversight on his part. <coughs> Excuse me. In verse 19 to 20, he says, imagine if we were all identical parts, like we were this kind of brainwashed, like religious cult where everybody looked the same, dressed the same, talked the same, did the same things. Imagine if we were all identical parts. That's not a body. That's a tumor, right? And so we need this diversity working together in unity, but there are two specific ways that we tend to fracture that unity within the church. Number one, we just already talked about. The first is when I feel that I don't belong. In other words, you don't need me. But the flip side in this passage is I don't need you. Look at verse 21. Imagine if an eye or a head that cannot say to a hand or a foot, I don't need you. So what's happening here is Paul flips the script. Instead of despairing about my own value, my own contribution to the body of Christ, that I don't belong, now there are times that we disparage and devalue other people. And so in verses 22 to 24, Paul demonstrates through the natural body how that perspective and preferences about others is completely backwards in the body of Christ. That we think about weak parts, like why is my brain so weak, vulnerable, that has to be encased in a whole circle of bone? Because it's indispensable, Paul says. And then I'm going to be very frank with you, because this is what Paul meant by this reference. Those parts that are unpresentable, less honorable. He's talking about in your body, your genitals. They're less presentable in public. And yet we treat them with more honor, with more modesty. We cover them, we shield them and protect them because they're intensely important to us. Isn't that true? I see nobody says amen. Nobody wants to be that guy. But the conclusion here this morning is that God makes every part valuable. He gives greater honor to the parts that lack it. Why? Verse 25, here's the point of the passage. So that there will be no division within the body of Christ and that members would have the same care for one another. So the point of this last section, which actually encapsulates, this is the grand conclusion of this part of the passage, is that you and I were called to care for one another as equally valued, as equally needed in the body of Christ according to God. That what you may consider weak, God gives great honor and importance to. So in the aftermath of the Oklahoma City bombing, many of you remember many years ago that the federal building was bombed in Oklahoma City, uh, homegrown terrorism. Author and speaker Joni Erickson Tata was invited to be part of a team of Christian counselors to come to help victims. Now, some of you know that Joni is quadriplegic. That means that she's paralyzed from the neck down. And so she arrived in Oklahoma City uh, and arrived in uh, the American Red Cross Center rolling her wheelchair in uh, to, in order for her to get her clearance and her credentials. And she saw this hustle and bustle of able-bodied people kind of running around, uh, setting up chairs and tables, stacking forms, uh, even putting out coffee and donuts. And the thought in her mind is, what am I doing here? What can I possibly do to contribute or help in this situation? Being a quadriplegic in a wheelchair. And yet, across from this very large room, this tall, official-looking woman in a white lab coat spots her, turns, and starts rushedly coming towards her, uh, handling, handling over, putting down her clipboard, and putting down her glasses and saying, oh, it's you. Finally, you've arrived. I'm so glad to see you here. Now, this sparked a lot of curiosity in Joni, and so she said, just very bluntly, why? Why are you, so, why are you glad I'm here? 
And this woman said to her, when, when people walk up to you in your wheelchair and they see how you're handling your personal crisis with that smile of yours, Joni, it speaks volumes to them. It assures them that they too can handle the crisis that they're going through. And so we need people like you here. Would you help us actually find more people who are like you that can assist us? You see, others might look at Joni on the surface and see her as weak, but this woman saw her as indispensable. Others might treat her as a hindrance to the efforts of recovery, but this woman treated her with special honor because she saw who God called and made and gifted Joni to be. When you and I are clear that God calls, that he gifts, that he makes every believer a part for the body of Christ, then we'll treat them as valuable and as needed and as family. And verse 26 outlines how do we do that? How do we show people that kind of care through our gifting in the body of Christ? If one member suffers, we all suffer together. If one is honored, we all rejoice together. You see, here's where Paul's going with this. He's not just talking about spiritual gifts. He's talking about being the body of Christ, experiencing unity in the midst of our diversity, whether it's spiritual gifts, personality, background, doesn't matter, but by loving and serving each other with our gifts, with Jesus, with the gospel. And because God has made other believers around you your family, do you make them feel valued and needed in the body of Christ? And Paul says, here's the real gauge. Here's how you can test yourself or evaluate yourself. Do you regularly rejoice with those who rejoice? Do you mourn with those who are mourning? Or, in our human self-centeredness sometimes, do we tend to respond with jealousy or judging other people's joy? That's not that big a deal. What are they so happy about? I wish that was my situation. Or do we tend to ignore or avoid other people's pain? Whoa, that is uh, too messy. I don't want to get involved in that. Though they are my brother, my sister. This is the real-life application of your spiritual gift and the gospel. Seven years ago, uh, David Getz and his wife, uh, they are um, believers who are involved in Christianity today. Uh, they were participating in um, a small group, a church small group for about seven years. And uh, this group, as they got to know each other over these seven years, they would cheer raucously when there was two women in their group who announced that they were pregnant and praying. The group came around those two families and prayed fervently for them. And both of these women, they were due within a week of each other. Now, the woman who was due first had some concerns. Uh, when her delivery date came and went, and on a Saturday, uh, as they, they were evaluating her, it seemed like the baby was moving a little bit less. But on Monday, they went to the doctors, and the ultrasound detected a strong heartbeat. Tuesday, they went back to the doctors. There was no heartbeat. On Wednesday, they gave birth to uh, their son, Ian, whom none of them had ever gotten a chance to know, and found that his umbilical cord was wrapped twice around his neck, and he'd already suffocated to death. That small group was at the hospital when that little boy was born and after all the doctors and families 
piled out. All the members of the small group uh, kind of piled into the room. They were huddling together, uh, sobbing, attempting to pray. After the funeral, some of them would come over, bringing dinner. Spiritual gift of hospitality. Some of them would come over and offer, can I help clean the, ba the bathroom or run some errands for you? Spiritual gift of service. Some would come over and share prayer or scripture that would bless this family. Spiritual gift of knowledge and wisdom. Some of them, not knowing what to do, quietly paid this family's hospital bills. Spiritual gift of generosity. And some, no words or actions, simply came over and wept with them, hugged them, spiritual gift of mercy. You see, in grieving with the parents, Dave writes, I learned how much of ministering Christ and experiencing Christ happens only through suffering together. That in this life, suffering isn't doled out evenly. And when it happens, we tend to secret it away. But as we became a community, it forced us into service and relationships with people who were becoming closer to us than our own families. And so this morning, I want to challenge you. You and I need to be clear about what it looks like to have unity in the diversity of God's giftings and God's family. That God, if God is the one who calls us, who makes us, who gifts us for the body of Christ, for the church family, then I need to get involved. I can't remove myself, and I can't referee or reject other people's value in the family of Christ. To help you get started investing in your God-given gifts, we're going to give you that opportunity after the service through our ministry fair to learn about ways you can get involved in church and loving and serving God together. But that's not the point. Remember the goal that we love and serve Jesus by loving and serving each other for the glory of God and for the common good. Would you bow with me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the power of your word. Some of us who've been Christians a long time read this passage so many times. It's easy to skim through and think about, oh, there's a lot of interesting, weird spiritual gifts. And yes, we are a body. We're supposed to be inter interdependent instead of independent or overly codependent. But we ask that it would really sink in for, this, for us this morning. That we would really recognize what it means to be the family of Christ, the body of Christ, involved, ministering to one another, caring about each other, involved in each other's lives. May your same Holy Spirit who called us into Jesus, who manifest in gifting us for ministry. Change us this morning. Change something in us. Help us to take that next step of loving and serving your family with our spiritual giftings, with our hearts, with our lives, with our involvement. Would you put a clear, specific burden change that you want us to make this morning. 
May we love this imperfect family. May we see them the way that you see them. And may we see how valuable our own part in it is. Help us not to separate ourselves. We thank you for this gift. In the name of Jesus.